Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crip, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. During this week in history, in 1970, the international media reported Paul McCartney was leaving the Beatles. When all the broken hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. And of course, first on the crib this week, Harry Gow of Warring Kingdom. Hello, I am Harry Gow, the creator of Warring Kingdom. After college, I came to Boston and rediscovered my passion for board games. I started to go to all sorts of events, and the more events I went to, the more games I learned, the more games I have to play. Do I pronounce it Harry Gow? Harry Gow, that's right. Okay, all right, just checking. Warring Kingdom <laughs> on Kickstarter. And you're doing well, but like I said, I don't like to suppress the vote. He still needs your help. Come out, check him out on Kickstarter, Warring Kingdom. Is this a deck-building game, Harry? Depending on which part of the game you're talking about, it is a deck-building game and it's not. And I read on your Kickstarter page that Warring Kingdom is your favorite game of all time. <laughs> I had to laugh when I read that. I mean, no disrespect or all, but I had to laugh. If there's something I didn't like about it, hey, next day is not there anymore. I changed it, so I like right. it. You know, compared to other games, a Warring Kingdom has unfair advantage okay. to steal my heart. When I spoke to you early in the week, you said you've learned a great deal by being on Kickstarter and doing crowdfunding, what, like going to conventions and things of that nature, what? Absolutely. Uh, you know, for when I normally go to game nights, it was the same four or five groups. I see the same people. You know, I'm too lazy normally to go out to go to conventions. Right. Here in Boston, there are a couple of conventions, and I would go to them, but when you have ones in Rhode Island, in New Hampshire... I just get too lazy to go. Right. But now with Warring Kingdom, I have yet another reason on top of it to go there to play games and to let people know about my game. On top of that, as a game master, I get to go for free. So all of those things combined really make me energetic about going out. And at the same time, I learn so much more and uh, you know meet new people that I would never meet if I were home all day. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I I think I'm an extrovert. It's right on the line. Okay. But even if I were an extrovert, I would still be a lazy extrovert. So <laughs> that does not help with the going out thing. So I got to push you out of your shell to get you to do stuff, no matter no matter <laughs> how cool it is or something like that. Okay, I got you. I got you. How long have you had Warring Kingdom in development? It's been about one year. Okay. I've been kind of thinking about a game like this for a long time. I just never really thought about I would make one. Just kind of daydream about, wouldn't it be great if I can find a game with this, this, and that? Then one day I decided, if you want something done right, do it yourself. So are you hooked? Now, you're on Kickstarter, you know, I mean, are you coming back? Are you going to develop more games? Do you have that book, you know, that book? Or that pad that you're walking around always writing down new ideas or mechanics for the next one? 
I'm hooked. I don't have a pet, but that only makes things worse. That means oh. I would walk around and the idea would occur to me. I would try to remember it. And uh, I can't think of anything else in order to keep myself, you know, keep developing the same idea in my head until I get to a <laughs> pen and paper. And, uh, you know, Boston commute is not the shortest. So right. it can be like hour, hour and a half before I can get to something to put it down. So in the meantime, I'm just kind of a zombie in my own little world trying to think about the game, think about a game, not necessarily this one. Just think about a new idea, a new concept. You have a really good sense of humor, man. I hope Thank this you. comes out in the game, man. I mean, well, I guess it's a warring game, so maybe not. But maybe your next um, game. If you read some of the flavor text on the cards, I think some of my humor does come out. I don't have a negative thing to say about you, man. Not at all. Clearly, you don't know me so well. Well, <laughs> you know, not yet. But by the time you come out with the second game now, I could have some different stuff i mean plus what i'm looking envisioning for you that you do this kickstarter you fund this kickstarter you live up to your promises to your backers and all that develop your reputation and and you grow your base man i mean that's what i hope and i hope you have a good time doing that have some fun along the way man what comments are you getting i'm getting a lot of comments when they sit down or look at the description, okay, it's a deck building game, or okay, this is a combat game, or, you know, whatever preconceived notions they may have right. just by listening to it. And then when they finish playing it, virtually everyone says, you know, it's something different. It's something else. They can't quite describe it. And uh, oftentimes at conventions, I would be playing with three other people. So they are trying the game for the first time. Other people would be walking by, look at the game and ask, what kind of game is this? Is this like a Dominion? Then, you know, for people who just sat down, many of them would say, yeah, it's a deck building game. Right. But for people who are halfway through the game, virtually everyone would say, uh, not really. You know, then the bystander would keep on guessing as if there must be a game. You know, there's got to be a genre where this fits perfectly in. And then people who play the game halfway would always say no. They always try to describe it as it is, and it is really, really unique. It is not yet another anything. Okay, you're saying this game is unique, but what makes you special that you can do this then? I don't think I'm special in that regard at all. I think, like deck building games, for example, Dominion. Right. When he came up with the idea of Dominion, that was beautiful. It's a whole new mechanic, whole new concept that no one thought about. You know, it's similar to card collection games, but it's really not because you're doing the whole thing in-game. Right. The first person who invented that that's evolutionary. The first worker placement game, that's the evolutionary. Right. I don't think mine is that. I think mine is, you know, evolution of the game. I don't think there's anything revolutionary about it. I'm taking a couple very established concepts, namely deck building game, using dice to determine initiative, right. having spatial elements. I'm just simply putting those things together and uh, playtesting it over and over again to get to a point where the length is good, the balance is good. So overall, it becomes a very good game. I don't think there's any single concept in my game that was so unique that, you know, I must be a genius to come up with it. But the combination is unique and the balance makes it really, really fine. You don't believe it's revolutionary, but you believe it is an evolution of certain things for the game. Yes. And that shows that you have room for growth, though. <laughs> Absolutely. 
You don't want to pick too young. Is this game any fun? It is fun. That's definitely easy part to answer. Well, either that or everyone I've ever played with are lying to me, and uh, um, hundreds of people are backing it as a attempt to troll me. Right. I don't believe in conspiracy theories that much. Oh, neither do so. I, man. It makes everybody <laughs> look crazy, man. Conspiracy. It does. Yeah. You know, I do very sincerely believe it's fine from the bottom of my, of my heart. And you've played this game with more than just your family. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I played with every single person I can find. In fact, I can't even play with my family anymore because you know, I don't have any kids to right. impose games on yet. Oh, I just yeah. play with my wife and uh, I played with her, you know, maybe once a week for right. a little while. She's not really a gamer, right. so she started to impose house rules. So we are really not playing any games at all. You know, she said, go, please go out, play games with other people. I don't want to play games every day. I want to read books. And for anyone out there, if you're on Kickstarter, check out An Evolution of the Gaming World, Warring Kingdom by Mr. Harry Gow. And if you can't find it there, you can drop by djgrandpa.com at any time and we'll have links for Harry and his game Harry it was a pleasure to have you on the show man and dude I always wish you the best on KS thank you very much Allison welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib Thank you for having me, DJ. No problem there. And I see you have the game My Dream 3D Creation and Exploration RPG. And one of the things that I like most about your game is it seems like it has a giant cookie monster in it. I don't know what that thing is running down the causeway in the desert or whatever. Is that a cookie <laughs> monster? That's a rock monster. So <laughs> okay. that's one of our stretch goals. My dream just met its funding requirement on Kickstarter. So yay. But we're not stopping there. We want to reach our stretch goal so that way we could provide more fun, engaging gameplay for our players. And so I'm here to ask people to kind of support us and help us reach that milestone and help us create this rock monster and have a really fun game for you and your kids. It's really going to be the only kind of 3D first-person game where you can let your kids play and not worry about it. So... We're really quite excited about the rock monster, and right. we hope you and the kids will be as well. Well, we're kind of helicopter parents as far as what our children watch. I mean, I hate to admit that, but that part is true, so I do understand what you're talking about, letting your kids watch certain types of material or play certain types of games, because there are a lot of horrific games out there, and I, I do know that I am um, I am part of the problem, you know, because... I do do more mature games or maybe I'm trying to not say more violent games at times. I'm trying to say mature to try and scapegoat that, but I am part of the problem. So could you please tell me, Allison, about this game? It's a sandbox game 
we were really inspired by Minecraft and also by real adventures that we went on in real life. So me and my co-founder, we grew up in these islands in Southeast Alaska, and it was just a big open sandbox where we could just go out, do anything, explore, play. And right now in modern society, as parents, we really don't have that option just because of, you know, everything going on. And I wanted to create a game that my kids could play without me having to worry and have a similar type experience I had as a kid. And at first, we were really excited about Minecraft. Minecraft was really fun. It was creative. Right. But now, as Minecraft is quite popular, we don't know what Minecraft is. Okay, you keep saying sandbox. What does that mean exactly, a sandbox type of game? Because I'm DJ Grandpa, so I mean, I'm, t- I'm thinking Super Mario Brothers and things like that, but I need you to bring me up to speed. So sandbox is a genre of game that basically allows you to build, craft, create, change things around, really empower the users. And it became really popular with kind of like the advent of Minecraft, right? Right, right, right. right. And so there's been a few other titles out there that have done sandboxy type plays, but Minecraft still is really the most popular one. I love Minecraft personally, but the issue as a parent now is that Minecraft is really everything. Well, I want to ask you a loaded question. Do you mind? Go ahead. You being CEO and all that, my dream, you seeing that there's a a niche, an opening in the Minecraft world for you to come out and kind of recapture some of what you believe they've lost. If your game becomes as big as Minecraft, if my dream becomes the game... I mean, are you going to get violent? I mean, are you? can you give me some sort of assurances or something? I'm hoping that we become wildly successful in the space, that we don't need to go to that very violent genre that has been uh, saturated and exploited, that the market will create so much demand for a family-oriented creative sandbox where parents can allow their kids to be creative, make quests, go on adventures, and not have to worry, right? So this is great for the work-at-home moms, work-at-home dads, where they need two or three hours and can let their kids play in a really immersive, creative, fun world. Right, I got you. You know, they don't have to worry about the violence the predators on the internet. They don't have to worry about them playing on their cell phone or their iPad and constantly getting the pings and the triggers to upgrade and download unwanted apps. So we really thought about the family, the needs of the working parents and taken that into consideration of our design. How would my children play this game? They can go on mydream.com Family edition, the parents obviously need to back us on Kickstarter, mydream.com backslash Kickstarter. For $5, you can have the early beta access. They can go create a world or hop onto one of our family-friendly worlds that we've created 
from ancient history to modern futuristic world where they can learn about science engineering, they can learn about history, or they can create a new world and build castles, sculpt caverns, make entire hillsides, right. mountainsides, create quests and adventures, and invite their friends to come in and play. Can they play individually as well as cooperatively? Yes, they can. We have single-player mode as well as multi-user mode. Would you like to thank your backers on Kickstarter, or, or how has your Kickstarter experience been? Oh, it's been fabulous. We love Kickstarter. Thank you for all our backers, and we've exceeded our goals. It's been an amazing community. We are continuing with our Kickstarter campaign and hoping to reach some stretch goals so that way we can make some more awesome, engaging gameplay. So we hope your listeners will go to mydream.com backslash Kickstarter and support our campaign. But it's been a wonderful community. We've met so many awesome people. Lots of fantastic feedback we're getting from right. our community that's helping to really shape the future of this game. Now, Allison is so good at what she does. I mean, there's like no need for me to ask any more questions. There's, there's no <laughs> need for me to do a back announce, as we would say in, in the industry, because she's just done so well herself. Now I feel left out. But, but DJ Grandpa always supports the family market. That's all I have to say. And, and if she's left out anything, go to DJGrandpa.com and we will have links for Allison and her company, you know, My Dream. Or, you know, maybe her game, My Dream, the 3D creation and exploration RPG. And Allison, thank you very much for coming on the show. And it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, DJ Grandpa. Remember, we are the crowdfunding channel and we cover the globe. was one of the countries in Europe hit hardest by the Holocaust. So naturally, a lot of Holocaust survivors and the generation below them started unaffiliating with their faith. Now in Hungary, we see a rise in a lot of the patterns that were happening around the time of the Holocaust, threatening what might happen if you're affiliated with Judaism and encouraging a lot of people to leave. Hello. Hi, this is Alyssa. How are you? Is yours a story of hope in the face of adversity? You know, I know we're talking about anti-Semitism and persecution. And Yeah, absolutely. I think people pay a lot of attention to the negative. We're quick to point out someone's flaws, quick to point out someone's mistakes, quick to point out what might go wrong. And right. I think this story hopes to be an example of what often goes right. That is much easier for us to... Overlook, And I think maybe that's human nature, maybe it's societal conditioning, but I believe that there's a lot of good that can come from a strength-based perspective. And there's something called asset-based community development that I have some experience with, and that is when you're trying to help a community, if every community can be considered a glass half full, right. instead of paying attention to the top half, that maybe is empty or maybe where a community is struggling, maybe where a community could use some more resources, you pay attention to the half that's full. 
and you see, well, what is this community doing well? And what can we learn from their strengths and how can their strengths be emphasized? Is that like a college perspective or something like that or a nonprofit perspective? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm saying yeah, like... a little bit of both, yeah. Right, I mean, like coming out of a think tank sort of kind or one exactly. of those... Right, okay, one of those philosophical environments. And I don't know anything about Budapest except for, you know, it's a cool name and all that, but... In your video on Kickstarter, you paint it as though almost the rise of Hitler in some ways again. Is that accurate? A lot of people would say that that is a little extreme. <laughs> and I don't think that it's literally a rise of Hitler per se, but I think that Budapest has historically been a hub for both Jewish culture. There's always been a lot of strength in Jewish culture there. It's been a where a lot of people that are looking for Jewish community, they'll go through Budapest. Right. But it's also historically been central to anti-Semitism, and it might make sense that the two are related, that if people are particularly anti-Semitic, they're going to go where Jews happen to be concentrated. Right. So right now, I wouldn't say literally that it is a rise of Hitler again, but I do think that there are really troubling signs of just drastically increasing anti-Semitism, even more than has been present historically, which has already been a lot. Can I be frank with you, ma'am? Yeah, please. It's like you have to earn money however the world turns. Mm. And so stereotypically, Jewish people have done that. They fit into society. There aren't as many publications or publications that I see that refer to Jewish people like kind of like they're inanimate objects, you know, like they're not really part of the status quo or something like that. And mm -hmm. why do we have to keep doing the same patterns over and over? I just, that's the part about the world I don't really get, that I don't yeah. really like. Seems as though we have already fought that war and mm -hmm. we've already fought over the Jews. We've already gone through the Holocaust. Why would we even have to go through something like that again? It just doesn't make sense. I agree. But I also think that potentially the perspective from the United States is much different. And for some reason, especially in Europe, but in also other parts of the world, I think Jewish populations are often viewed as inanimate objects or viewed as this other, this unrelatable, inhuman species. And I think, honestly, like you were saying, oh, but they managed to blend into society and they managed to make money. And I think, honestly, Jewish populations are often viewed negatively because of that. I work around a lot of Jewish people, and then sometimes, you know, they'll make a joke about me being Jewish or something. And then I'll say, well, you know, my wife is a sympathetic Jew. But mm -hmm. then when they're in a bad mood, they'll be like, to be a sympathetic Jew is just not good enough. You're either Jewish or you, you know, you're either Jewish or you're not. And I'm like, well, right. okay. I'm not Jewish, okay, but but I can still be sympathetic, you know, I can still be sympathetic yeah. to your cause or to what mm -hmm. you guys are working for. So I guess I'm trying to ask you, correct me, can can you give me, and this is a real hard question, can you give <laughs> me, like, in a nutshell, what is it like to be a Jewish person? I think part of the issue that all of us face from mm -hmm. either of our perspectives is this necessity to define what is it like to be this person or identifying wholly with any of these labels? Right. Because I think that what is it like to be a person 
and what is it like to be a person that's oppressed? And we could both have answers to that question. What is it like to be a person who is discriminated against purely for what they look like, is discriminated against purely for what some of their ancestors might have done, is discriminated against purely for where they live, what block they live on. And I think there's something to be said absolutely for being a sympathetic Jew or being a sympathetic African-American. But when it comes down to it, I bet you would feel the same way that hypothetically, if there were a policy or if you had a relative eh, that maybe was a slave and I had a relative that was a victim of the Holocaust to someone that didn't have a relative so closely tied to something like that to say, oh, man, I know what you mean. I know what you're going through. That's when people get aggravated and say, no, you don't. You don't know. So right now I work in Chicago and there are areas of this city that are just less safe for African-Americans. Purely the color of your skin works against you in many cases. And that is the same for certain areas all over the world. But specifically for my project in Eastern Europe, areas are just less safe for Jewish communities or Jewish individuals. And there are people that will just purely hate them for being Jewish. And the part that I find so amazing, which is similarly, there are African-American youth-led initiatives in South and West Side Chicago that are absolutely amazing and resilient to this racism. And they just perform amazing poetry slams or initiate amazing programs that are reducing violence by 60%. And it's the same with these communities in Eastern Europe, specifically in Budapest, that say, you know what? There's hatred there, period. Oh, yes, that's yeah. a fact. But look at all the things that we have and look at all the things that we can do. And we are going to strive despite this external threat. Your project is about writing this book, this anthology. Anthology, yeah. Right, about what the culture is doing and, and what it's up against. So that is totally cool. I mean, how did you think of a project like that? The idea came about when I met a handful of these people in Budapest last year right. and was taken aback by their stories that they didn't know that they were Jewish until they were young adults. They weren't told because there was danger associated with being Jewish and their family didn't want them to know while they were in school because it wasn't safe. Where did you grow up? I grew up in New York. Oh, yeah. big Jewish enclaves <laughs> in New York. I mean, mm. I, I was shocked one time I went to New York and it was all these cats and these big hats and big beards and stuff. And I was like, dude, what what are all these Russians doing around here? People are like, those are Jews. They're not Russians. <laughs> Is the Jewish community a segregated community? Yeah. Kind of self-segregating or just they feel segregated by society? I think it's both. I've been asked what I think the biggest obstacle is for Jewish communities. And I think part of it is a perpetual need to be defensive. Mm. And I think that comes from, maybe you would disagree, but I think the same might be true for African-American communities that, or for communities that have been oppressed in general. There's a need to stick together. It's like birds of a flock fly together. Because no. if you separate, then something might happen and then all of a sudden everyone's gone. Or all of a sudden the culture doesn't exist anymore or all of a sudden there's all these anxieties about what might happen because of this hatred that the group has faced in the past and a fear of it resurging in the future for anyone out there Alyssa yeah is documenting jewish resilience 
to mm-hmm. anti-Semitism in Budapest, and she needs your help on Kickstarter. So, like I yeah, said, I do. documenting Jewish resilience. That's how you find it. Alyssa, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. We are Grim Bros. My name is Ash. This is Randis. We're the founders of Grim Bros. And uh, in addition to that, we're also really great friends and avid gamers. We are both industry veterans and in our career over the past 16 years, uh, we have worked on a large number of projects for all kinds of studios, both Hello. in-house and free. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Is this Ash? This is Ash. Dude. Should I call you DJ Grandpa or should I call you... And you guys are Grim Bros. You're not like Brothers Grim or anything like that. You're Grim Bros. That's right. Everything about you guys is clever, man. I, I mean, the marketing, all the name choice selection, almost uh, in a way, I want to say, what's that Spielberg uh, imprint dream? Dream... Uh... Dreamworks? Yeah, almost a DreamWorks-esque fairy tale your game paints. Well, thank you very much. That's an amazingly high compliment. Oh, no problem, man. Like for us, this is a passion project, so we're putting all our heart, all our energy into this. Not only do we, do we want the gameplay to shine, but we want the characters to be interesting. We want there to be a dark sense of humor. Mm-hmm. You know, we're actually inspired by the old school original Grim Fairy Tales, which if you read them, they're quite dark. Oh, they're brutal. So we didn't want to shove that into the consumer's face, into the gamer's face, say, all right, here's some really over-the-top crazy stuff. But we're inspired by that, and we want to have those kind of dark elements, that dark majesty kind of brewing in our game a little bit. Well, you did say twisted. That's right. So the first story that you encounter with Red Robin is one of Avengers. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. Red Robin, not Little Red Robin Hood, but Red... Yeah, Red Robin. (laughs) That's her name. Yeah, that's right. I got you. You're funny, man. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You know, basically to share a little bit, you know, the reason she's an alcoholic is because she had a traumatic event that happened to her and she's, she drinks to repress that memory. Right. And so as you play through the game, you start unraveling her tale and understanding what happened to her and, and basically discovering her place in the world and a greater story of murder and revenge and, and magic. We think that's really entertaining. And our aspiration uh, in our Kickstarter and through future DLC is to add new characters to this world. Mm-hmm. You know, and it kind of all goes into the reason why we named it Dragonfin Soup. Because it, you know, we're adding in these different characters. And we're taking these different mechanics, everything that we loved from these different genres. And just mixing it all together. Well, in my house, <laughs> we all watched it. Your video, my daughters and all, your trailer, and it, it was there were a lot of oohs and ahs. And the guy who came out looking like a deranged Fozzie bear, he was like some sort of giant or something. Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. my God. It, I guess that's where I got the DreamWorks from, and it seemed so magical. And I flipped through all the pictures and your, and your GIF files and stuff with the movement. And Dude, I feel as though I know you and your partner now somehow. And we haven't even met. That's what we want. We really want to connect with people because it's like the most exciting part of what we're doing now. And part of this Kickstarter is really talking to the community, talking to the gamers, hearing what they want, talking to them about their favorite platforms, their favorite 
characters, talking about like pets. So the community is going to be able, everyone who's a backer can come on in at a certain tier and help uh, basically pick the type of exclusive pet they get. And also we get to put the backers in the game. So if right. you back at a, at a certain tier, we call it the ghost edition, then we put your name in the game and you get to, your name comes up as a ghost. So you'll be running through the world and you'll come up across someone they'll be named after you. Before we go too far, I want to yeah, make yeah. sure I get your partner's name right because I know he is not humble. So he definitely wants to be heard. <laughs> he definitely wants his perspective. So you got to tell right, his name. That's right. And- so, you know, give, give my props to my partner. Uh, my partner, his name is Randis. Randis. Right. Albion. And he is a phenomenal artist, and we're great friends. You know, I take kind of point on the business side, uh, Grim Bros, and he takes point on the development side. And we exchange high-level ideas on the creative, but almost 99.99999% of everything is, is really Randis. You know, his, this is his baby. He's, he's done all the art. He's done all the detailed design. You know, he's designed the characters. He basically did every piece of art you see in that game. All the screens, all the illustrations, the animation, and the modeling, the UI, everything. Man, I'm surprised you guys even talk to me at all as confident as you are. You don't <laughs> well, need that, me. Totally we do need you. <laughs> Our problem, and this is what keeps me up at night, is just getting the word out. Right. You know, we think we really have something special here. And it's, it's, it's shaping up to be a beautiful, fun game. We're going to be at PAX East. Mm-hmm. up in Boston uh, this April, I think, 11th through the 13th. Right. And we'll actually have a, a live demo of the game, uh, just a snapshot of the game. And so anybody can come by our booth and check it out and, and play one of the first missions in the game and uh, just kind of get a sense of, of the game we're building. Dude, this is quite an enchanted land, man. Dragonfin soup. You know, inspired by games like Earthbound, you know, Sheeran the Wanderer, Landstalker. We just wanted to bring back that flavor a little bit of that nostalgia, but also make it yeah. modern and accessible. So we took a classic console RPG and we added roguelike elements to it. I don't understand what the roguelike elements mean. I, I like the sound of it. That's like the granddaddy of dungeon crawlers. It came out way back in the day. There was no graphic. It was all ASCII art. You know, So you're this little at sign running around this world and the walls were made out of uh, different symbols and uh, you'd encounter right. monsters. And it was very text heavy and very difficult. And because of the limitations of the computers at the time, roguelikes had three major hallmarks. One was procedurally generated content. Right. So every time you started a game, the layout and the monster placement and everything was, was new and different. Right. Um, permanent death, mainly because, <laughs> you know, why do a save file? It is the ultimate test. Exactly. So it was turn-based. And if you made a move, the enemy made a move. And you got all these things in your arsenal, and you'd have to experiment to see what worked and what didn't and understand the monster behaviors. So a lot of trial and error in order for you to actually master the world. And over time, that evolved into you know, some of the most popular genres we have today, like Diablo, for example. Diablo, right. I think, is a descendant of roguelikes. And so what we did was we went back to the classic console games and said, what are the elements that we really want? And so that's what we did. We, did, we grabbed game mechanics from this area and that area and threw them together and kind of mixed them up. We also added these fairy tale inspired characters in there too, right? So our first hero character, heroine, is inspired by Little Red Riding Hood. But in our world, she's kind of a raging alcoholic redneck with a shotgun. We like that actually because we think that characters with flaws, characters with distinct you know, problems that they have to overcome are very interesting. What is uh, Toby Keith said, um, white trash with money? <laughs> <laughs> well, th- in this case, she doesn't have any money. 
you know, one of the first story missions is she wakes up from having a really bad dream. Right. She's broke. And the first thing she wants is a, is a drink. So she goes to the local <laughs> tavern to find a job. I'm still hearing a country song, man. I'm still hearing <laughs> yeah. a country song. We're not trying to be super clever here. It's still, we're trying to tell like it is a fairy tale, but it's our fairy tale. It's our take on it. We're not trying to retell a classic Grimm story. We're trying to, you know, we're inspired to do something different. You just keep it quirky and twisty like you're doing, man. I mean, whatever um is wrong with your partner, man, I mean, it's paying off for you. <laughs> <laughs> Randis is, is pretty great. There's something wrong with the man. I know that. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't come up with stuff like this and, and, and you're a normal guy. <laughs> yeah, I would say, yeah, he has a nice streak of darkness in him. I'm glad you guys are happy about that. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> that wasn't a compliment, that point. <laughs> <laughs> but for anyone out there, if you're looking for an incredible title, man, I say this is it, Dragon Fin Soup, and by Grim Bros. How could you go wrong with Grim Bros, man? That just sounds cool, and it's, I mean, I want to I wanna punch Ash in the arm for having a title like that, man. I'm totally impressed, man. It's like we're giving high fives virtually. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus. 